You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Good morning. Y'all doing all right? Man, weren't those some of the best songs? Man, worship team, just give it up for them. That was just so good today. Ministered to so many of our hearts today. We are in part four of this series, I Love My City. And uh, just as a way of review, these are kind of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And that is, we said, first of all, we need to pray for our city. And uh, then we need to live in the world or in the city while separated from. So living in while separated from. And what does that look like to be in the world but not of the world and, and be set apart from the world? And then finally, last week, we talked about salty Speech And the reason we do all of these things and more, the reason we even suffer well in front of our city when we go through things is so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Because our desire, as we talked about last week, is those of us who are in the faith and followers of Jesus, who are in the church, we have an obligation and a calling, a commission to reach those who are outside of the faith and outside of the church. And what Paul talks about, it, he calls them outsiders. And so our desire is to see outsiders become insiders. And the way that we do that is we love our city well, we love those in our city well, and we live our Christian faith out in such a way that people would see our good works and glorify our Father who, uh, who is in heaven. And we're going to look at a passage today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, Paul lists off some things as, as he's dealing with how we should live our lives in holiness. And what we mean by holiness is that is that we just live our lives in such a way that's evident that we are set apart as children of God. We just don't live the same way the world does, but yet we are separated from, but we're not isolated from them. We are living in and among them. We're working in and among them. We're doing our life in front of them so that they can see those things and go, you know what? I may not believe what they believe, but I want what they have. I want the marriages they have. I want the children they have. I want the, the work ethic they have. I want, I want what they have. And I may not believe in the same Jesus they believe in. And they just kind of lean in and listen up. And eventually, hopefully, they see that it's Jesus that makes all the difference. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is laying some things out for us. And here's what he says uh, in this area of living holy. He says, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification or that living out and growing in your relationship with Christ, becoming more and more Christ-like, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So he's saying that one of the basic things that you and I can do, if you ever want to know what the will of God is, the top of the list thing that he says is live a life free of immorality. Live different than the world. So this is part, you know, part of the thing that he's talking about, this living, this holy life. He says, because... For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. He's called us to live separated from, to live differently than the world in which we live. That is all about immorality. And so the next few verses, the next couple of verses, he's talking about brotherly love and how we interact with one another. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He's saying, now listen, when it comes to living a Christian life, when it comes to living a life that's holy and set apart and different, this part of it should come naturally to you. Because God taught you from the beginning, have brotherly love, love one another 
the way Christ has loved you. And so this ought to be just a given, but nevertheless, he still reminded us and he goes on and he says, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. Never stop doing this. Never stop loving one another the way you love one another. Always run to one another's problems. Always run to help one another. And you live out this brotherly love so that the world around you looks at you and goes, hey, those people over there, they really do love well. They love one another well, in spite of all of their differences and all of their flaws, they are able to do that. And then in the next two verses, verses 11 and 12, that's kind of where we want to shift our attention and kind of focus today, because this is where he kind of digs in and says, hey, here's, some, here's a Christian lifestyle that you should live as a lot of evidence toward those who are outside and make them desire, or at least make them want to see what it's like to be an insider. And here's what he says. And, inspire, and to inspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, or as some versions say, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so he's saying that the, as he gets down to the end of this, he's saying you've got a life that is that is uh, sanctified, set apart, holy, free of sexual immorality. You love one another well. And now as you go into the world and as you go to work and as you go and live out there in front of everybody, here's some things that I want to admonish you to do. And there's three things. Number one, he says, live a drama-free life. Can I get an amen? amen. I thought that y'all just like the early service. They came alive on that one too. Just live a drama-free life. And here's how he says it. He said, aspire to live quietly. Aspire to live quietly. What is Paul is saying here to this church, to these believers and for us, he's saying, people, be people who do not cause problems in the community. Just be people who are just not full of drama. Just don't be those people that every time they get a call down there at the 911 center and they call out KPD and they go, oh, it's at that same address every time. There's those people that go down there to charity. They are so full of drama. They've always got something going on and they know your house by name because they're always having to be called out. He's saying, don't be the people that just cause drama and cause problems in the community. Don't be the people in the HOA that are always calling out everybody else. Don't be that person. He's saying just be free of drama. Live a life that's free of commotion. And I am a, I'm a person, we did this study about personality um, temperaments, and my color is green. And you know what that means about me? I thrive in unity and harmony. I love unity and I love harmony. All the greens out there are nodding their heads, okay? And then you've got other people, and I think it's all the other colors, okay? They like drama. No, I'm kidding. But, but people, there, there are some who just, we thrive in that. And I always think there's something wrong with people who love drama. But you've got those relatives, right? That every family gathering, they gotta bring up drama. And you just can't have a peaceful Thanksgiving meal because there's always something going on in their lives. And what Paul is saying is, is you wanna live well toward outsiders, don't be those people. 
Don't call your children out on social media. Keep that in kind inside the walls. I never wanted people to know all the problems we had in our home. But when we were in church in Louisiana, my kids were in like children's church, we called it there. And they always, and I think sometimes children's church workers did this on purpose. They always wanted to know what the prayer requests were for the children who were like six years old. And you know what they do in there? They tell everything. They tell everything. And so those little children's church workers, they come walking through the hallway and they look at me and they go, "Mm mm-hmm. I know what's up, <laughs> you know? And it's like, do y'all ever watch that show, Everybody Loves Raymond, from the back in the 90s? Tracy and I love that show. It is so real, it's so raw. One of the things that I love is when they, all the family went to like the twins, they were doing like story time at school, and they started saying the mean family, the angry family, and they're all back there going, it's like he's confessed everything. And so, listen, what Paul is saying, just live a quiet life. Just live a quiet, drama-free life that's free of commotion and not airing it out for everybody else. The next thing he says here is mind your own business. <laughs> Y'all liking this one. I knew it would go over well. Live a, unless you're the drama person or meddler. Uh, live a drama-free life and mind your own business. Here's what he says. He says, you got this apart, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. And what he means by this a couple of things. First of all, he's saying, pay attention to your affairs and stay out of other people's business. <laughs> Spoken like a true believer up there, right? And so pay attention to your own business and stay out of the business of everybody else. You know, that's a person that texts you or calls you and say, did you hear about such and such? I didn't realize they will get this much feedback today. Um, but he's saying, just, just don't, don't be that person that's always meddling in everybody else's business. Just stay out of it. Let me just tell you something. We got enough stuff in our own family. If I wasn't a pastor, I would go, I don't need to know about your stuff. But because I'm your pastor, you can tell me about your stuff, okay? And then you become a sermon illustration, I'm kidding. I don't do that. I don't do that. Unless it's years later, years later. Like when I'm getting into my retirement years, people will hear about your stories then, okay? But it won't be like next Sunday. I'm kidding. Um, but just pay attention to your own business. Mind your own business. Pay attention to your own affairs. And then also what he talks about here is this. When he's talking about your own affairs, he's saying also re- live up to your own financial obligations. If you've made a financial obligation, make good on it. Don't be the person who's always having to get their water turned back on and their electricity turned back on and always late on your car payment and they're coming to get your car and you're back having your two car payments. He said, pay attention to those. I understand people fall on hard times and you go through rough times. I understand that. But some of this is what he's talking about is people that just don't pay attention and they go on shopping sprees rather than paying their car payment or their house payment or their electricity bill. And they're out spending money in an unwise way. He's saying, pay attention to your own affairs. Don't meddle in other people's business. Take care of your own household. Take care of the things in your house. Don't don't be those people who aren't paying attention to those things. It does not look good to the world around us. I sold cars for a while, and, uh, and, and Tom sold cars and was in car finance for a while as well, and we, were, we compared notes sometimes on that, and I said this in the first service, and he came up and verified it. When I was a car salesman, there were three people that you always 
kind of raised an eyebrow about when they told you they were employed in this, in this um, occupation, you kind of went, oh no, they probably have bad credit. And you know what they were? There are three Ps. Tom, Tom helped me in with this one. They were, and if you're in any of these occupations like me, um, don't take it personally. Just let it be motivation, be the difference maker. It was policemen, painters, and preachers. I don't know how a painter got in there, but you know, policemen, painters, and preachers, those were the three Ps. If they showed up on the car light, you're like, there's a good chance they probably don't have good credit. And so, and I would like, I don't wanna be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I want them to just, I want to blow them away with an 850 credit score when they go back there and check it, you know, and say, yeah, I'm a preacher too. And I got that down. And so, but he's saying, just mind your own business and and take care of your business. Take care of the things that you're obligated to. And the third thing is work hard. Just live a drama-free life, mind your own business and be a hard worker. It's just that simple. That's what he's saying. If you want to look good to the world around you, do these three things. And they're going to go, man, they kind of live a peaceful life and they take care of their stuff. And man, he's a hard worker. She's a hard worker. And so here's what he says. Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, and to work hard with your hands. Because I believe this, work ethic is part of living a holy set-apart life. Listen, the world around us may go, hey, we don't believe what they want, what they believe, but I sure would like for them to work for me because they work hard, they've got good work ethic, they show up to work on time, they stay till closing time, and they give me 100%. I don't have to wonder about them taking two hour and three hour lunch breaks, showing up and having to constantly go out taking a break. No, they're hard working people. And that's what we ought to be known for as followers of Jesus. I found this quote that said this, and this is by Andrew Carnegie. He says, the average person puts only 25% of his energy and ability into his work. And you know this person. You may be this person at times. I think we all probably have those days where we're going like, I'm not even sure I'm gonna give 25%. But 25%, he's saying, the, the average person does that. What are they doing with the other 75% of their time? They're browsing social media, they're watching YouTube videos, they're catching up on whatever, and they're just not working. But most people fall into that category, 25%. He goes on and he says, the world takes its hat off to those who put in more than 50% of their capacity and stands on its head for those few and far between souls who devote 100%. I read this in the early service and I was standing out there in the foyer and one of our young ladies, she's a college student, she came up to me and she said, let me tell you something. My dad is that 100%. My dad, and I'm thinking, that's a good testimony. That, that your daughter, who is a college-age student, looks at her dad and goes, my dad's the 100 percenter. He gives his all. And here's what I just believe, that for us, we were created to work. Man was created to work. And I'm gonna just, my dad was a strong believer in this principle. And he thought you should learn to work before you became a man. So whenever I was just like, you know, six years old or whatever, seven, just, just barely enough, big enough to walk out there with my dad, we had those old push mowers. Y'all remember those? Everybody got a zero turn. They're mowing like a third of an acre on a zero turn mower. I'm like, you don't know work. You don't know work. Let me just tell you about work in just a minute. But my dad, we had push mowers and they didn't have those self-propelled things either. We worked, okay? My dad would be pushing up here and you know what I was doing? They had that extra bar down at the bottom. 
I was walking down there holding that one. Because my dad wanted me to know how to mow straight lines and how to, how to use a lawn mower. And he didn't teach me everything because I cut my finger off when I was seven with a lawn mower. So I'm still holding a little bit of a grudge. Dad, you should have taught me how to turn it off, okay? Um, but, but my dad demonstrated that. My dad was a hard worker. And when he was in my teenage years and even a little younger, my dad worked in the oil field in Louisiana. And he was a welder. So he'd drive that big welding rig home, you know, and it had all those acetylene torches and welding machine, all of that stuff. But what would happen is my dad would get called out in the middle of the night because an oil well somewhere out in the middle of nowhere would be broken down. And so my dad, I don't know why, sometimes he would just say, hey, Marty, you want to go with me? And so I'd get up, sleepy-eyed, you know, 10 years old, jump in the welding truck with him, and we'd go for a ride out in the middle of nowhere. And he'd go barreling down through those fields, and he'd pull up there, and I'd stay in the truck, but I remember looking out there because there was lights everywhere on those oil rigs, and my dad would crawl down in that hole, waist-deep in mud, with, with um, welding rig fired up and these blow torches and everything. He's cutting and welding and getting that oil rig back up and running. And then we'd pile back up and go back home. And my dad used to take me to work and I watched him work and he taught me to work. He believed in chores around the house. One of our chores was mowing the grass and we lived on two acres of land. And guess what we didn't have? a lawnmower that was, that was self-propelled or a riding or zero turn. We push mowed that entire two acres. And I had a brother who was supposed to be helping me, but my brother had the longest bowel movements <laughs> of anybody I've ever known. I don't know how they lasted for an hour or two. But somehow they did. And so, you know, I was the oldest child, and so I did all the heavy lifting. So I would push mow that entire yard, and my dad would sip his sweet tea and watch us do it. And it was no problem, because he wanted us to learn the value of good work ethic. That you go to work, and you put in a full day's effort, and you give them everything that you've got. And here's how, in the very beginning, we read about in Genesis, and God said to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, meaning bring the earth, bring the vegetation under control. You tend to the garden. You be a worker in the garden and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And what he's saying is you have authority over the animals, over the kingdom, the animal kingdom. So you have all of this and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was created to work from the very beginning. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. He says this, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't put them there to sit and look at each other and hold hands. You know why he put them there? Be fruitful and multiply, which is more than holding hands. And number two was work, okay? Two things, be fruitful and multiply and work. Tend to the garden. He goes on, A.W. does, and he says, he said they were to take care of the garden. You remember that? They were given something to do, and it wasn't stay on social media all day long, okay? It wasn't to air out all your drama for everybody to read. Go to work. Do something. Some people, he says, some people believe that work is a result of the curse, 
But that's not true, he says. The idea is abroad that the man who works is a boob or an infidel or a fool and that work is only for fools, but God made us to work. That's what he created us for. And we ought to work. If we're able to work, we ought to work. Because men, John Calvin says it this way, men were created to employ themselves in some work and not to lie down in inactivity and idleness and stay on social media all day long and watching YouTube and binge watching Netflix. And no, he made you to work and watch football. That was it, okay? If you binge watch football all afternoon through the evening, you're okay. But go to work tomorrow, right? No, that, he created us for that. It's part of our worship, actually. It's part of our worship. If you study this all the way out into Revelation, there's belief that the crafts that people had that did with their hands, they would do that and they would bring it to God as a way of honoring him with the work that he had provided for them as a way of doing that. So I think work ethic and good work ethic does a few things. Number one, it provides for our needs. God, God has given us this work ethic and it gives us a way to provide for our own needs. Here's what Genesis 3.19 says. By the, sweet of your, by, the sweet, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. You know what it means? You want to eat? Go to work. Dave Ramsey says it this way. There's a great place to go when you're broke. To work. It's a great place to go when you're broke. You go to work. Tracy and I, we've, we've been broke before. We've been broke a lot, as a matter of fact. But you know what my family never did? They never suffered need. Because I was always willing to work two and three, and sometimes if I needed to, I'd work four jobs if I had to. So I'm like youth pastor by day, DJ in the morning, and I was washing cars on the weekends as much as I could. I would do anything. When our kids were in college, we were determined that they were gonna go free of debt, and we weren't gonna certainly take out student loans on them. So you know what I did at night on Thursday nights and Friday nights? I drove an Uber. Do you know how many drunk people there are on Thursday nights and Friday nights in Charlotte? There are a bunch. I was always afraid I was going to pick up a church member. <laughs> that would be awkward for them more than me, probably, because I already know your sins, okay? That's why I've got job security. Um, <laughs> by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Charles Spurgeon says this, he who turns up his nose at his work quarrels with his bread and butter. And anybody that doesn't like to work, they're like fighting with their food. <laughs> it's a food fight. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as weird as it sounds, we should embrace work. We should love to work for the glory of God. The curse says this, if you want to eat, you must sweat. But the promise says this, if you sweat, you shall eat. In Proverbs, we read that, that promise. And also, able-bodied people who choose to live in idleness and eat the fruit of another man's labor, they are in direct rebellion to God, according to Luke chapter 10. Anybody who is able-bodied and refuses to work but yet lives on another man's sweat is in rebellion to God. Now listen, I understand people that fall in a needy times that's why we have a great food pantry. We want to provide for those needs. We're talking able-bodied people who refuse to work and to live on welfare. Live on another man's sweat is in direct rebellion to God because he created you to work and to glorify him 
in your work. So number one, it provides for our needs. Second thing is provides for the needs of others. And here's what we read in first Timothy. Paul writes to the young pastor. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for a member of his, of his own household, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. You want to be worse than an unbeliever? Don't provide for your family. If you're able, you're worse than an unbeliever. The King James version puts the word infidel there. He's saying, so writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this, let the thief no longer steal. And anybody love a thief? No, nobody likes a thief. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So rather than going stealing from other people, you provide for other people and you help other people. So good work ethic. Three reasons, provides for our needs, provides for the needs of others, and finally, it builds a bridge for the gospel. And that's what Paul is digging into here. In 1 Thessalonians 4.12, he wraps it up and he says, so that you may walk or behave or work properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Work ethic is listed in a long list of things here in 1 Thessalonians 4 of things that set us apart as holy Useful tools in the hand of God. So when you go to work, man, don't dread it. Look at it as an opportunity to glorify God, to represent God well in our community and so that others can see you and see your work ethic and they glorify your Father in heaven. And so when you go to present the gospel to them, they would go, I want to hear what he has to say or she has to say because they are just such good representatives of whatever and whoever they believe in. So as I wrap it up, I kind of summarize it in this statement. If you want to walk properly toward outsiders, live a drama-free life, mind your own business, and work hard. And if you could just teach our kids this, right? Just teach our kids. Hey, if you want to walk properly toward outsiders, live a drama-free life, mind your own business, and work hard hard so that they can see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So as we wrap it up, here's some questions for you. Number one, are you living a drama free life or does drama just seem to follow you around? If, if drama seems to follow you around, I would tell you what we ought to do. Let's look in the mirror and go, maybe I'm the one who fuels drama. Maybe I'm the one who is a drama magnet, but are you living a drama-free life? Number two, do you meddle in other people's business? Are you constantly a gossip? Are you constantly um, trying to find out the scoop on everybody? Do you mind meddle in other people's business? Number three, do you live up to your obligations financially? Do you live up to the obligations? And don't, don't, don't be the person who just doesn't live up to whatever obligations you have committed yourself to. And then finally, what does your work ethic say to onlookers? Let me tell you somebody who had the best work ethic ever, and that was Jesus Christ. Because when he was sent to this earth, he had a job to do. And aren't you so glad that he didn't clock out early? Aren't you so glad he didn't show up late? Aren't you so glad he put in a full life's effort so that when he hung on the cross and raised his hands up this way, he could say, it is 
finished. I did exactly what I came to do. And Jesus was the greatest example of that. And for us, we go out and we get to represent him to a world around us, to the community around us, around us, who are the outsiders that we want to become insiders. And one way we can do that is just live a drama-free life, mind our own business, and work hard. Let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that you put passages like this in your word that are so practical for us. And Lord, I just pray that we as men and women who you've created for a purpose, we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, for the purpose of good work ethic. And so God, I pray today that this message would just fall upon our hearts it'll land just like it needs to so that we can go out here and represent you well. And if there's somebody here today who's never put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, it's our prayer that today they would become followers of you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.